Now, this is the season of Christmas. Many of us love this season. You know, Pastor Ben was saying, how many of you love Christmas? Some of you didn't raise your hand because maybe this is not the best time for you of the year. All over the world, someone is celebrating something. Now, it may not be Christmas. Maybe it's a, a birth of a new baby. Maybe it's a, 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 they just got married. But people celebrate things all the time. For us to celebrate Christmas, it's not the actual day that we're celebrating. We're actually celebrating the person, Jesus Christ. There is no Christmas without Christ. It's just impossible to have Christmas without Christ. And the world tries its very best to take Christ out of Christmas. It just doesn't happen. It's like celebrating a birthday of someone that doesn't exist. You're trying to take that person out of their birthday. But we know that there is a Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ, and that's why we seek him out. We've gone through many things. We've gone through obstacles and different types of uh, circumstances in our lives that have led us to the Savior, but there are still many who have yet to find the Savior. And that's what this series is all about. It's seeking after the Savior. Now, Christmas is that time of year where things go well and things may not go well. Uh, traffic becomes, you know, more crowded Shopping is much more difficult, but then the joy of having presents is filled in a child's heart. I don't know about adults. You know, sometimes we ask each other, oh, what do you want for Christmas? You're thinking, whatever, you know, I don't care. Give me socks, shoes, whatever. I don't know. Work clothes. We don't know what we want. And it's hard to find your spouse something good for Christmas because it's coming out of your paycheck or it's coming out of your savings. It's like, why are we going to buy each other something? Someone's, we're, we're both paying for it. So we have that mentality, but Christmas, Christmas is more than just a gift. Side note, still get each other a gift, even though you're still paying for it. It doesn't matter. Just get each other a gift. That's part of the season. Now, for some of us, we can't afford a gift, so we make something, and that's fine too, because Christmas is that time where we give. It's just that time of year. But for many people, Christmas may not be the time to give. Maybe it's not the time to be joyful. Maybe it's a time to be sorrowful because the loss of a loved one, and this is the first year without that person, or whatever it may be. Maybe the family is not doing well, or finances. Everyone has their reasons for this not being the most favorite time of the year. In fact, there are many people, even in the Bible days when Jesus was walking around and before he came to this earth, that they had questions about this Messiah, this Savior who was supposed to save the people of Israel or save the entire human race from sin and separation from God. So there was a lot of false accusations or a lot of false stories going around. And so an author by the name of Luke, who was a doctor, came along and wrote the book of Luke to give his account in detail to a man named Theophilus so that whatever rumors is going around would be put to rest or whatever false stories that were going around would be put to rest so that Theophilus, who was trying to seek the Savior, trying to understand the Messiah and why he came, Luke wanted to put that to rest. And so he wrote the book of Luke. Luke came out of a non-Jewish culture or tradition or he came from a non-Jewish background. So he... He wrote the book of Luke in such a way as to speak to a non-Jewish person. That's why when we read the book of Luke, we, we can understand the Christmas story. But even that 
many have a difficult time understanding the Christmas story. Or they just leave it at surface value and say, oh, Christmas is about the birth of Christ and so forth. But Luke wanted to take it deeper. And so what Luke does is he gives the story before Christmas. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So you can take out your notes from your bulletin. And we want to talk about the story before Christmas. Everyone has a story. You have a story before you were married. Did you know that? Your story of your life together with your spouse did not start on the day you were married. Something took place, a date night or maybe at a dance or, well, I'm talking about Heidi and I. It was at a school dance. It's like seventh grade. You know, Heidi and I met when I was 12 and she was 13. So we've been with each other for almost 30 years, which is pretty cool. We kind of grew up together. That's why we fight a lot. We're like brothers and sisters sometimes. Mostly it's her fault, but... And she's not here, so I can say that. I can be tough. There's a story before your marriage. Everyone has a story before their marriage. Everyone has a story before they went to school. Everyone has a story before they went to, uh, in, in the path that they're on in their career. There's a story that led up to some type of event. And this is a story that has led up to Jesus Christ And in order for us to understand the story of Christmas, it may help to understand the backdrop story or the background before Jesus came to this earth. Luke is educated. He's a a doctor, and he's very meticulous in what he does. That's what a doctor uh, is trained to do. They are a detailed person. And so Luke brings much detail, as a doctor would. And so in the book of Luke, chapter 1, in your notes... He says, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So he's, it's almost like Luke is bringing truth to what you've been taught. So you bring that together, now it brings understanding, and so now Theophilus can live according to the ways of God. And Luke wrote this because, like today, there are a lot of false information going around. And so he continues in the book of Luke. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 1, and I'll read from verses 1, excuse me, 5 through 17. And this will give us the backdrop. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. Blameless. So imagine that. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. So the Bible is just letting us know, or Luke is letting us know, there's a backstory behind, before Jesus came, there's a backstory of this priest named Zechariah. So Zechariah is doing his daily duties or what he needs to do as a priest. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. 
and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And if you know the story, when remember when uh, Mary came to see Elizabeth, and Mary was three months pregnant with the Lord, and Elizabeth was already in her sixth month, that the baby leapt in her womb. That was John in her womb, in Elizabeth's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So the Bible is actually talking about how the Savior is going to come about and how John the Baptist is going to prepare the way for the Savior. And not just for the people back then, but for all who will come after that to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And that's speaking about us. So when we seek the Savior, there's much more than what we know of. There's a backstory. When the Bible says in the, in the days of Herod the king, it's almost like trying to, Luke is trying to pinpoint what was happening at that time, that there was a dictator who was uh, a tyrant who was oppressing the people because that's what Rome did in those days. And, and uh, King Herod was appointed to oversee that area of Judea. And so he became, in fact, uh, Caesar Augustus appointed him and gave him the name King of the Jews. So that was Herod's kind of like his, his, uh, his label. You're king of the Jews because you're going to oversee this province. You're going to oversee this area. So he was labeled that. And so now when Luke says in the days of Herod, it's like saying in the days of Hitler. See how that changes everything? You can say back in 1940, 1935, 1962. You can, you can name dates. But when you say in the days of Hitler, in the days of Saddam Hussein, you can say those things. In the days of Muammar Gaddafi, you can say those things and, and it changes the picture of everything. In the days of ISIS, it changes everything. In the days of terrorism, you know, it just changes the atmosphere, it changes the culture and the picture of a date. So Luke wants to give a, a background of what was happening at that time. So the people are oppressed and they're living under this tyrannic, uh, this, this, the tyranny of this king. And so Jesus is not yet there. He has not come to this earth yet. But Zechariah the priest is feeling all of this. And he's, he's hearing this from the angel of the Lord. And he's hearing that something great is going to happen. So Herod was so ruthless, this king, who they named king of the Jews, was so ruthless that they would say it is better to be either an enemy of Herod or one of his slaves, or even one of his just, uh, you know, pigs, than to be one of his close relatives. Because he would kill off anyone who, was, who would threaten the throne. He would just kill them off. And so that's why when the wise men came looking for the king of the Jews, remember the wise men came to King Herod, and he says, we've seen his star, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And Herod is thinking, wait a minute, I'm the king of the Jews. What are you looking for? And they said, well, we seek the Savior. So now Herod becomes paranoid because someone is now threatening his throne. Well, tell me about this Savior. Well, he came to this earth, and now he's going to rise up to be the king of the Jews. And he's thinking, there is no other king but me. 
So King Herod had to figure out, okay, when did you see this star and when was the child born? It was about two years ago. Okay, so now Herod mandates that every male-born child, two years old and under, will be killed and annihilated. So it's not the, it's not the best season of life right now that's happening. In fact, in Matthew chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, he says, where is the newborn king of the Jews? He's like saying, where is he going to be? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as, everyone, as was everyone in Jerusalem. So why was he disturbed? Because now his throne was threatened. Now, this is before, this is before he understood the magnitude of who Jesus is. For some of us, before we knew Jesus Christ, or even now, if you don't know Jesus Christ, there are a lot of emotions that we go through, a lot of complexities that we go through in life that we we just can't seem to put together. And then when someone says, oh, do you know Jesus? Or you come to church and you hear about Jesus, but you don't know him as your savior, there's a, a lot of turmoil, a lot of questions, a lot of doubts that come in because of what we face in life. And so when, when Herod is pondering on all of this and the wise men come and say no we 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 came to look for the savior he's thinking wait a minute well so how does that affect me and the question we can ask ourselves is how does the savior affect us because there is a story that every single person will have after we find the savior it's called a testimony Every single person, when they find the Savior and they receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, has a testimony. We all have one when we seek the Savior and find Him. But for those who don't and they reject the Savior, you don't have a testimony yet. You have a story. But we want to have a story before our story, before Christmas. Everyone has a story, but you want to have a story before your story. You catch what I'm saying? You don't want to live life just with a story. You want to live life to where, wait a minute, everything that I've been through, everything that I've witnessed, everything that I've seen, every circumstance, every emotion that I've went through, every heartache and pain led me up until this one point, and that's seeking the Savior. And once I find Him and I receive Him into my heart, now my story begins, and it's a good story. Well, King Herod couldn't see that. Because here's the first thing we learn. Number one, God always prepares me before his arrival. He will always prepare us before his arrival. That's what he did with the wise men. They, the star was shown. And these wise men were astrologers. We don't know how many they were. They brought three gifts. So it's, you know, it's kind of assumed there were three people, uh, three wise men. But we don't know. I mean, these were men. So maybe they all chipped in for a gift and had like 20 of them. And they're like, hey, put dollar each. Because men are cheap sometimes. I'm just saying. Not cheap. We just look for the best way out. But maybe these guys had three gifts. And there are more of them. We don't know. But they came. And they sought out the Savior. But they were prepared before they came. And it's interesting that God would speak to these astrologers in the way that they would understand. Through a star. They wouldn't understand an angel. If an angel showed up, they'd probably run away. An angel showed up to Zacharias because he was a priest, so he would understand the, the uh, angelic views of God, or, or when angels came and visited, they would underst- he would understand those things. The astrologers understood the stars. 
They could be led that way because they understood astronomy. So God will speak to us in the way we understand. Isn't it true that when you come to church and something is said, you understand and you say, wow, you're speaking to me. That's God. That's not the pastor. It's the Lord speaking specifically to you in a way that you can understand. Because that's how God speaks. And so he speaks to the astrologers in this way. And so God will always do that. He'll always prepare us before his arrival. He will always speak to us in a way that we can understand so that when he comes into our hearts, he's arrived. We understand. You know, John the Baptist, he prepared the way for Jesus Christ. He prepared the way for the Messiah to come in a way that people could understand that they were washing away their sins or repentance was being taken place so that when the Savior comes, they understand that there is something to do, that something to do with sin, that when Jesus came, John was preparing for him to come so that all the sins of the world would be taken care of. So John prepares the way. He's that, John, if you think of John the Baptist, he's not just the one that baptized people. He is that last prophet and the closest prophet, if you look at the Old Testament, right before Jesus Christ. He, he, John the Baptist is kind of like the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament, if you read your Bible. It, sometimes we say, oh, you know, the God of the Old Testament is like this. He's full of wrath and all of that. But the God of the New Testament, he's full of grace and love. There is only one God. There's not a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. There's only one God, always full of grace, always full of mercy, but still the judge overall. So God will always prepare our hearts, and that's what he did with John the Baptist before Jesus came. He was preparing the hearts of the people. Malachi 3 verse 1 says, look, I am sending my messenger. That's John the Baptist. And he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. And this is speaking about John the Baptist. Hundreds of years before John came to this earth, before he was born, everything the Old Testament pointed to was fulfilled through the birth of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Everything pointed to Jesus Christ. And you know it's a big deal when either Gabriel the angel shows up or Michael the archangel. So in this case with Zechariah in Luke chapter uh, 1 verse 11, and we read that, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You know, the name Zechariah and Elizabeth means that God remembers and God an oath, or the oath of God. So with their names alone, that was already being, they were already being prepared since they were named at birth that God would remember the people because God gave his oath. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, now they're in their later parts of their years, and it's interesting how Zechariah says it. He says, you know, um, My, my, my wife and I, you know, he says, I'm an old man. So I don't know how we're going to have this child. She's been barren for years. And my wife is well advanced in years. What a smart man 
Think about it. I'm old. Is your wife old? No, she's just well advanced in years. <laughs> I think we can take note of that as husbands. How old is your wife? She's just well advanced in years. And so now they're, they're wondering, how is this going to happen? Now remember, in those days, if, if a woman could not conceive, she was labeled barren. So that wasn't a good label to have. So when the angel says this, now it, it kind of encourages Zechariah. And so now Zechariah is thinking, oh boy, okay, well, maybe we're going to have a child. See, Zechariah was used by God because the Bible says he was a humble man. He was a humble priest. And to be a priest, it meant that you had to represent God to the people and then the people to God. That was, that was your responsibility. You were the middleman. All of this took place before Jesus came. The priest had that responsibility to represent God between people and God and then God and then between God and people. He just, they just had that responsibility. And he, they needed to interpret scripture. They would let the people know what God was saying. They would counsel people, provide wisdom, and then give wise judgment for the people. And then he would leave his local duties twice for once a week so that he could be, uh, for one week so that he could serve in the temple. He was just a humble man. In fact, J- James 4 verse 6, it says, but he gives more grace Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, grace is the power of God that allows us to live out what God asks of us. It's power. There's power in God's grace. I'll continue in Luke chapter 1. I'll read from verses 18 18 through 20. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. Who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute. Now, I want us to really pay attention to this because it almost seems like, oh, everything goes downhill from this point on. You will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. So he said, because you doubted, you're going to you're going to be mute. You're not going to be able to speak. But listen very carefully. God still chose him. God knew he was going to doubt. God knew that he was going to have these questions. God knew that, but God still chose him. Can you write this in your second point that we can learn? God chose me before I chose him. See, that's your story. That's the story before Christ that God already chose you. You don't have to do anything grand or great for God to say, I accept you. He already chose you. The priest had the honor and privilege of representing God just like we do today. Some people say, hey, pastor, you know, you represent God, so your life has to be perfect. No, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ and follows him represents God. My life is no better than yours. Yours is no better than mine. We all stand level at the foot of the cross, but we all represent Jesus Christ. It's interesting. Some people will go to a movie and they'll say, oh, this movie is so good, but pastor, you cannot go watch them. I said, what? Why not? Oh, it's, it's bad. It's bad for you. I said, why is it bad for me? Oh, because it got this, 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 and this. I'm thinking, what? You're not a believer too? Oh, you don't have Christ in your heart? No, no, I get, but you know, for you, you cannot watch this movie. I'm thinking, Why? We all represent God. We all represent the Savior. There is, there is no higher up and, and, you know, levels. It's one God 
one Savior, one Messiah, and one follower. We all follow him. That's why he says, come follow me. Here's the encouragement. God calls us all to represent him. That's why he prepares us before his arrival. In fact, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, it says, you are a chosen generation. You, you're chosen. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. So you know that what Zechariah was doing? Yeah, that's your level of priesthood also. He's saying, you're all priests. You're all priests. You're a holy nation. You're his own special people that you may proclaim, and this is why you're his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. That's the story that we once had. We were living in darkness. But now here's the other story when we came to know Christ. You were called out of darkness into his marvelous light who were once not a people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Can you see the story? We didn't have mercy. Now we have God's mercy. We were living in darkness, but now we live in the light. See, things change when you seek the Savior and you find him. Our story changes. We all have a story before Christmas. What's your story? What has led you to the Savior? What has led you to come to church? Why are you here? Is it just for a religious thing that, oh, we go to church every week? Or are you actually seeking the Savior? Because there is a major difference with attending church and letting Jesus attend your heart. And he prepares us for that because if we're not prepared, we're going to run. We're going to deny. We're going to justify. We're going to say, no, I don't want to have anything to do with that because we're not, we're not prepared. But he always prepares our heart. Ephesians 1, 4 says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ, to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Don't you find that interesting? Because we all have faults, every single one of us. But he chose us to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Let's not miss that. We have fault in each other's eyes because we can actually point them out. But Jesus says, no, God sent me so that you could be holy and without fault in his eyes. Talk about preparing us for him. That means Wait a minute, that means I don't have to work for my salvation? Nope. That means, I, do I have to behave first to, for Christ to love me? Nope. That means you're already chosen without fault before his eyes. So you can come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because you are without fault in his eyes. That's the story that Jesus came to bring before we even understood what Christmas is all about. Here's the third thing, that God looks for the faithful. God looks for the faithful. Now, what does that mean? Well, Zacharias was a faithful man. He did his priestly duties. He did what he needed to do. He was faithful to Elizabeth, and he was used by God. He, he was used by God in his, in his life, in his family, in his ministry. And if you want to be used by God in your life, in your family, and your ministry, just be faithful. Be faithful to do the kingdom things. Be faithful to, when Jesus speaks, obey. And it might be a small thing. Maybe, maybe you're working on something. Maybe you're saying, oh, i got to be more kind to people, especially during this season. I mean, kindness, it has to show up someplace. Just yesterday, as I'm driving, a, a guy cut me off, you know, went really fast around me, cut me off. And so now I'm boiling. I'm thinking, 
you know, I can, I, can, I can just step on the gas and just, I can pass you right now. And then I'm thinking, no, calm down, calm down. He might be going to church. So you don't know, I don't know. I, I, I had to just relax, be kind. Someone takes your parking stall and you had your blinker on at Walmart or at, you know, wherever you are. It, it's going to happen. The cashier is going to be talking story with the person in front of you, talking story. Oh, yeah, I was cruising yesterday. And so now you're waiting. In line, you're thinking, I got to go. I got to go. And how are you going to respond to that? It's very difficult to do that, right? Isn't it difficult to be a Christ follower? But so worth being a Christ follower. See, God's going to prepare us, but he's going to look for those who are faithful. And God often speaks to his people and those that, that have a, a, just a, a task at hand for him while they're doing their ordinary things for God, while you're doing your ordinary things of life, while you're with your family. God's going to speak to you. He spoke to Moses. Moses, before Moses led the people out of slavery, out of Egypt, the people of Israel, the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt, before Moses was called to do that, you know what he was doing? He was tending sheep. He was doing his daily duties. He was doing his daily things as a shepherd. And then he saw the burning bush, and then God spoke to him. King David, same thing. Before he destroyed or, or uh, took down Goliath, you know what he was doing? He was running errands. His dad said, go bring some food to, the, to your brothers during the war and go take some food. And David got there. He said, hey, guys, I brought your guys lunch. What's going on? Well, you see that giant? Yeah. Oh, he's, he's uh, taunting us. Okay. What are you guys doing? Well, we're hiding. Why are you guys hiding? Because look at how big he is. I can take him out. What? You're a teenage boy. Yeah, I can take him out. Just give me a stick. And some, give me some, I got some stones. And, and just give me a sling. I'm going to slingshot his head. And he said, what are you talking about? Yeah, give me that. And David goes out and he destroys Goliath. He kills Goliath. David wasn't even on mission to kill, to kill Goliath. But he was on mission to do what he was supposed to do. When, when Jesus called his disciples, what were they doing? They were mending their nets. They were fishermen. They were doing the daily things that they normally do. In other words, they were living. They weren't just existing. They were living. They were doing what they were called to do. Some of us believe that God's going to speak to us if we're just staying still. And he does. But we stay still all our life. We never go out there. We never pursue something. We never chase after God. We never, we're not hungry for the things of God. We just say, well, God, when you speak to me, I'm going to go. How about you go? Then God will speak. You do what you feel God asking you to do. You go. Then you let him speak. Some people say, oh, God, I, I, no, God wants to call me to, to be a missionary around the world. Okay, good. When is that going to happen? Well, when he calls me to. Okay, just do something small then. How about be a missionary across the street? Do you even know your neighbors? Oh, no, I don't like know my neighbors. Why not? Because they drink all day. That's why they need a savior. Or you might be thinking, well, I don't like, well, why? Why? Because I drink all day. <laughs> well, well, do something about it. We're all going to have some type of obstacle before God calls us to do something. Before Gideon was called to defeat the Midianites, what was Gideon doing? He was threshing wheat. It's difficult to do something for the Lord 
if we're doing nothing in life. If you've ever paddle, uh, went out paddle boarding, the first time I've learned, I tried to stand up, fall down, stand up, fall down. So my brother told me, no, once you, uh, if you just try to stand up, you're going to fall because of the waves. So just lie down, paddle a little bit, or go on your knees and just paddle. Get some motion going, some, some momentum, and then you can stand up because now you're moving. And so it is true with a calling by God. It's hard to just go, or it's hard to just stand up when you're not going. Do something for the Lord. Do something for the kingdom because that's when God will speak. He's going to speak while we're in action. My relationship is rocky. Do something small to bring back something good. Yeah, but even my, my family is not doing well. Well, do something small together as family so that you can be strengthened. Yeah, but my finances aren't or, or so organized. Well, do something small to organize it better. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, it says, In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So, if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You know what the Bible is saying? Don't just sit there with the gift. Use it. Do something with it. Don't think, well, God's going to use me someday. No, he's not. You're going to be used today. Then God will move in your life. See, we're waiting for the angel to appear. But God is saying, you're already a priest you're already my chosen people. You're a holy nation. Do something about it. So many want to do great things for God, but they never want to do the small things. They want to do the big things. But doesn't the Bible tell us if you're faithful in little, then you will be faithful in much? I think that's why Paul the Apostle, while he was raising up this young Timothy, he said to Timothy in verse, uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. He says, you know, Timothy, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands upon you. Paul is saying, your gifts don't come fully assembled. We're buying toys right, right now for Christmas. A lot of them don't come fully assembled. And really watch those fine print that says batteries not included or, you know, toy sold separately and only got the track so you got to read those fine prints. It's the same thing with the gifts that God gives to us. It doesn't come fully assembled. You have to use it, and then it begins to assemble. That's why Paul says you got to fan that flame. It's a small spark. Get that small spark. you gotta, you got to spark just a little bit, and once you get that spark, now you start to fan into flame that gift that God has given to you, and then it grows bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. A fire, a forest fire never starts with a forest fire. Many times it begins with just a small spark. And so Paul says you've got to fan that into flame. And the way you get better at doing what God has called you to do is to keep doing 
what he's called you to do over and over and over again. You don't give up. You just keep doing that over and over and over again. Last week, uh, if you were here, uh, Ryan Matsuo and myself, we did a painting, and some of you were here for that. And people came up to us and said, oh, how long did it take you to do that? And between the both of us, maybe between, I don't know, two and a half hours to three hours, I think my portion was about an hour, and then uh, we were filming and all of that, and then Ryan took another hour. And so people said, that's it? But then I thought, no, it, it, it took actually about 30 years to be able to do a painting in one hour. Catch what I'm saying? You may be looking at, well, I, I just, I want it now. Sometimes it takes 30 years to do what you need to do for one hour. But, but when you do that in an hour, whatever it is God asks you to do, powerful. It's worth the small efforts to lead up to something big. And just like the physical gifts we have that get better with use and over time, it's the same with our spiritual gift. Whatever gift he's given to you, use it for him. And knowing what you're not good at is just as important of knowing what you're good at. Some of us get frustrated because we're not, things aren't really clicking right. Well, think to yourself, am I actually good at that? And if you're not, then that's okay. Find out what you're good at. That's where Zechariah was. Zechariah was great with the priesthood duties. He was great with the, the holy stuff. He went into the holy of holies and even prayed to God. And who knows what he was praying for? Maybe he prayed for a son. Maybe he prayed for his wife Elizabeth that she was barren. Who knows what he prayed for? But all we know is he had faith in certain areas, but in this one area, he doubted, therefore he was mute. We all have strengths and weaknesses. And even though Zechariah and Elizabeth was blameless were blameless people, they just could not conceive. And that was their story before Christ came. That was their story before John the Baptist came. Every single person has a story before our story. And some people may have looked at Zechariah and, 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 and Elizabeth and said, boy, they, how can they be used by God? They can't even conceive a child. And people probably looked at them that way. Maybe for some people, they, they lost credibility in, in uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they said, but they can't even have a child. God's not even answering their prayer. So how can he answer prayer on behalf of us? How is that going to work? And even Zechariah doubted. And he doubted the things of God. But God was just preparing him. For many of us, and even like Zechariah and, and, and Elizabeth, they may have been suffering outwardly, and people could see that. But God was doing something great inwardly that nobody else could see. That's the trust that we have in God. And so Zechariah comes to the temple every, every, uh, every so often for his responsibility to pray for the people. Maybe he prayed for the Messiah to come. We don't know what he prayed. But whatever he prayed, the Bible says, it was heard in heaven. Here's the last thing that you can write in. Number four, God partners with me through prayer. Prayer. That's how valuable prayer is. It partners us with God. Our prayers on earth are heard in heaven. 
In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, it says, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God, be, ascended before God from the angel's hand. There's that, there's that prayers of all the saints that are a sweet aroma before the throne of God that is going before God. So when we pray, God hears our prayers. He hears what we're saying. If we call upon him, he will hear our prayers. Psalm 34 verse 15 says, The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help. See, God will answer us, but it will be in his time. Because isn't it so true that God's timing is way better than ours? See, we're in time, so we're stuck with this thing called patience. Last night we were at a, a wedding and we were sitting outside, and we were wanting to go in. And one of our friends was saying, it's taking a long time to go in. And my other friend said, just be patient. God is teaching us patience. And the other person said, no, it's teaching us how to get angry. And I thought, there's always something that we're learning along the way. And these, with these guys, when they were praying with, with Zechariah, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, even though they had a heart for a child, even though they prayed, God heard them, but it was according to his timing. And this thing called patience is such a difficult thing because we're in time. But God is out of time. He's in eternity. He doesn't live and he's not confined by time. That's why we struggle with this thing called patience. But God... He's slow to anger, slow to anger, and he's patient with us, and he knows exactly at what time to answer our prayer because he knows what's best for us. As it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. If you want your prayers to be answered and it turn out beautiful, then let God's timing Come to pass. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. I would say this the story that God is creating for all of us before we find before we find Him is a great story. It's filled with drama, yes, it's filled with emotion, and it's filled with turmoil and sometimes sadness. But when you find the Savior, then he can turn your sadness, your mourning into dancing. He can create a brand new day for you and I to rejoice and be glad in it. What's your prayers? Maybe we just haven't prayed. Maybe we haven't spoken to God in a while. Maybe our prayers are angry prayers. Maybe our prayers to God need to change. You know, we spoke about 2015 being our year of renewal as a church as a people. Maybe God's already starting that, to renew our hearts, to pray differently to him, to be thankful for him. Sometimes he'll answer your prayer right away. Maybe it may take a while. In fact, it was Peter, one of the disciples. He was in prison because of his belief in Jesus Christ. Peter had a story before Christ, and then he had a story after Christ, and it had to do with being in prison. 
Well, Peter is in prison and he's praying and an angel shows up and releases him from prison. Well, at the same time, there was a prayer uh, uh, community of people praying, almost like a prayer meeting. And they're praying for Peter and they're saying, Lord, help Peter, you know, get him out of prison, help him. Then they hear a knock at the door. And the women go to the door because they were trying to hide, you know. It wasn't a good time. This is, this is you know, them hiding because if you believed in Jesus Christ, then you could be imprisoned. So the women go to the door and they come back and they say, it's Peter. And the guys are going, you guys are crazy. How can that be Peter? Pretty interesting. These guys are praying for Peter to be released. He's released. He comes to the door. They doubt. Isn't it interesting that we pray to God, but we still doubt what we pray? Sometimes we think, well, doubt then. Doubt is just, it's, it's a wrong thing. Well, Doubt just means you're thinking. That's all it is. You're thinking. And sometimes we have to enter through the tunnel of doubt before we enter the place, the place of his promises. Sometimes we got to go through doubt. Zacharias had to go through doubt. But look at what happened. John the Baptist came. And he acknowledged, John the Baptist acknowledged that Jesus is the Savior. This is the Lamb of God. I don't know what your story is, but you definitely have one. Don't let it end there. Seek the Savior because there is a story before Christmas and yours may just beginning or be in that process of being written in this next chapter of your life. You don't know what it is, but Christ does. This Christmas just think in that kind of way, Lord, what is my story? What are you doing in my life? I want to seek you, not anything else. Even though I may doubt sometimes, you still hear my prayers. Let's seek the Savior together. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, as we conclude this morning, we know that all good things come from you. And there are stories that were circulating before you came to this earth. And sometimes we make our own stories we circulate our own stories before you come into our hearts and before we dedicate our life to you or before we even follow you. And it's not just as our Savior, but every moment of the day, the story of waking up in the morning and already feeling like it's going to be a bad day, waking up in the morning to a difficult situation, waking up in the morning knowing that we don't have enough finances for the bills. There's a story and all of us have one. But we want your story. We want you. We don't just want answers to our prayers. We want the person in whom we're praying to. Because that's where all the answers lie. So help us today, Lord, with whatever story we have to connect with you. So that our story and your story becomes a part of history in our lives. We trust in you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray and we all said, amen.